Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for attending today. We have an exciting webinar, all focused on 2019. My name is Dan Jacobs, and I'm the Director of Partnerships here at RSI. Uh, we are super stoked to wrap up 2018. We've got a lot going on over here. Uh, if you hear a bunch of noise in the background, it's because our, our staff and support operations people are running around making sure we're, we're focused on year-end. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to jump right into introductions. We're going to jump into uh, kind of a, a great conversation about predictions for 2019. We're going to talk about what, uh, what we think uh, is going to happen from our perspective and, um, and really just have an easy conversation. As uh, always, we're going to welcome this for uh, conversations. Uh, we're going to monitor uh, Q&A on the chat. I've got my Time Life headset on. I've got the chat windows open. We're ready to do this. Um, so let's start with ladies first, Julie Schlingman. <laughs> Thank you for jumping in today. Julie is our Assistant Director of Operations Specialist. She's been with RSI for a little over three years now. Uh, and Julie, you've got a, a great depth of operational experience, um, first coming to us uh, as a client, but prior to that, uh, also working at a fast casual concept uh, based in Colorado. So you've got a, a very corporate background, a very independent uh, and mid-sized market restaurant background. Uh, super stoked to have you on our panel today. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right, all right, all. moving along. Um, let's go with best dressed outfit. Dave Downs, Can you've got a tie on. I do, yeah. My Christmas that, tie uh, here. Uh, a little holiday themed? Yep. Is there anything else in your outfit that's holiday themed? I've got a matching jacket and pants too. We might show you at the ends for those who. who all right, stay on. all right. Yeah. David is one of our client advisors here at RSI and has a background in ownership and, and operations in in restaurants as well. Uh, has been a, an influential part of providing the service to our clients here at RSI, helping them grow their companies. Uh, you know, from one location to three locations to ten locations, and really helping map out strategies and, and operational goals, uh, you know, to keep the focus, right, on what is, what is it that we're trying to achieve, what are the tactics that we need to employ to get there, and then how do we measure whether or not we have success. So, Dave, thanks so much for being an ongoing senior panelist uh, out of this group today. Uh, moving, moving on to Steve Renau out of Chicago. Steve, thank you for being here today. Uh, Steve, for those of you who may not know, also has a very deep operational background. He's got over 10 years of restaurant management, um, both in, in a GM perspective as well as a, a minority equity position. Uh, he's been with RSI for the last four years uh, as a part of our team helping uh, really kind of bring RSI to the Chicago market. Uh, meeting with restaurant operators, trying to, to ask them to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about what they're working on and, and whether or not RSI could be a good fit for them. So thank you, Steve, for lending your time, treasure, and talent to our conversation today. Happy to be here. Uh, Bears fan, correct? Yeah, 100%. Go Bears. Right. We'll, we'll talk about that later. It's a good time to be a Bears fan, though. Uh, Leon McMullen rounds out our panel. Leon's been with us for, what, over seven years now, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's right. And you grew up in uh, upstate New York. Uh, family uh, was in the restaurant business and supply business, right? Butcher, if I'm not mistaken. Grandpa? 
That's right. Grandpa Bob Schneller. No, that Bob. was Mr. Bob Schneller. I love it. I love it. And and so you've got that kind of DNA as well uh, of running restaurants in your blood. You've been out here in Colorado, been up in the mountains, worked in, in Vail and, and did that ski bum thing, uh, but yet really, you know, providing great service and hospitality. Uh, some some time at Cisco, so you've been on the supplier side before joining RSI. Um, how long have you been out in Colorado, actually, collectively? Lived, uh, collectively, about 17 years now. So I lived up in the mountains for about three and down in Denver for the last 14. So long story short, you also have that native bump st bumper sticker on your car, even though it's <laughs> right on. Thank you, Leon, for being a part of this. Um, I think I've taken a lot of time, but again, our goal is, is to really focus on what do we think is going to happen in 2019? I'm excited to hear what everyone has, and, and I'll uh, try to provide some takeaways towards the end. Dave Downs, I'm going to hand it over to you to run this, uh, this rudderless carnival off and <laughs> off whatever we're going. Yeah, off the rails. Let's do it. Come with Here us. Here we go. Uh, first, to be able to look forward, I think it, it would be it would serve us right to to look back a little bit. And the, the first couple of things I want to get from Julie, uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the major changes that happened in the last year, specifically as it relates to RSI? What are some of those major things that have rolled out recently? Yeah, absolutely. So, pretty recently, within the past month or six weeks or so, you may have gotten notification that you can drill down in your financials now all the way to your invoice images. So for clients that are taking advantage of that invoice upload feature, um, you're now able to go all the way down. And the feedback that we've gotten from clients on it has been really terrific. Um, so for if anybody's on this uh, panel that doesn't know about it, check out the website um, to get some more information about it. Another feature that has been rolling out gradually over probably the past three months is the RSI assistance. Um, so on the page there's a module now and there's a bunch of great items there. Some of them are videos, some of them are documents related to compliance, training, tons of different stuff to really meet our clients' needs 24-7 so that if they have questions or they need more detailed information, there's a centralized place to find it. And so, again, for anybody that's on here, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, log in and check out that little RSI assistance box, and I think you'll find um, useful stuff, including year-end task list. So that's going to be at the top there um, to kind of get you going on what you need to wrap up this year properly and then go into the next year. Perfect. Steve, I know uh, you've been kind of working with some clients in the Chicago market too, kind of looking back at, at the year of 2018 and in uh, anticipation of looking forward to 2019. We're going to talk about the projections and kind of what kind of things you're seeing out there in a little bit. Uh, what kinds of things are you making recommendations for your clients in, in the Chicago market um, in terms of being able to assess where their business is currently? Yeah, you know, a lot of conversations that I've had with not only people who are currently RSI clients, but uh, other restaurants that are considering using the service is trying to find opportunities to really get their team a little bit more involved in the financial process of running the business. So a lot of questions come up about how do I share financial information with my team without really necessarily giving them a full picture of everything that's going on. Um, and there's really a couple key areas that people want to focus on. Uh, that's cost of goods sold, 
Um, a lot of people, uh, disposables are things that people are always keeping an eye on. Um, and then plateware and flatware, uh, glassware, you know. So those costs are things that their team members can really be a part of controlling. So having the ability to give them that information and really showing them how their activities impact the overall profitability of the business is something that kind of a theme that I hear over and over again. Um, so for our current RSI clients, a lot of them have been uh, utilizing the operational statements that RSI provides. Um, and then kind of the next step from there is, okay, now that we can share this information with our team, how do we use this as a tool? Um, and a lot of operators are starting to put together um, incentivization and bonus programs for the hourly team members where as they're planning out 2019 and they're coming up with their goals, budgeted goals for beverage costs and for food costs, you know, putting those in front of the staff and saying, what things can we do holistically as an operation to make sure that we're achieving these goals? And then periodically presenting that information to the staff and really giving them a financial incentive to be able to, to meet those goals. I mean, at the end of the day, those hourly team members can be on the front line of making sure that silverware isn't being thrown away, that food isn't being wasted, that uh, stock is being rotated properly to prevent spoilage. So they really, once they have a little bit more of an investment in it and they really see that, hey, if I'm keeping an eye on this and I'm watching it and I'm really pushing the broom as hard as everybody else, there's a financial bonus for me in this. And then obviously that's something that's also going to help the financial performance of the restaurant over the course of the year. No doubt. Can I, <clears throat> go ahead. Can I yeah, go ahead, Julie. Quick? Steve, I think that's a really good point. And I think also, uh, you know, I know we're going to be talking more about labor, but it gives a lot of people on the team a chance to kind of really invest in your business and invest in this as a career and give the, gives them, just opens their eyes into the growth potential. And I've seen really great results um, both when I was a client of RSI and for my clients when they do that, when they engage their team at a deeper level. Um, and I think what they'll find, not only will those costs come more into line, but so will the longevity of their team and so will the performance mm -hmm. of their team. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of that. I'm super glad that you brought that up. And if I could jump in on one more thing, I've seen a lot of higher level of um, restaurant business acumen amongst the hourly team members. Um, I see a lot of people who are restaurant hospitality industry professionals who may have done some managerial work. They were GMs, they were executive chefs, and for whatever lifestyle choice decisions or other things that have come up that have put them kind of back into more of an hourly team member role, but they have that experience and they have that understanding, and I think they want to be a part of the process. You know, they don't want to just come in and punch in and do their shift. They want to understand what's going on in the business. So I think that by, um, you know, ownership and management, sharing that information, they feel that they're kind of more a part of the restaurant as a whole. Yeah, I think that people might surprise you, you know. You might mm -hmm. listen to this and think, no, I don't have anybody. Give it a leap of faith, and I really think that you would be surprised. Um, I couldn't agree more. Leon, does that hold true in the markets that you work with, kind of Denver, Phoenix, uh, portions of the, the western Midwest? Uh, does that hold true in some of your, uh, in, in your markets too? 
Undoubtedly. Um, it also becomes, as they get more invested um, and people identify who could actually grow within the organization as well, um, those, it kind of, it raises the bar for everybody else that's there as well. Like all the other team members um, see that, that there is room for growth here. You know, there is an opportunity for me to understand this business. And hey, I really like this and I want to keep continuing uh, to grow. And as, you know, different restaurant groups continue to expand and we, we all know what a struggle it is right now to find uh, qualified labor, why not find from the people that we already know and mine it from the, mm -hmm. the, the, the internally from the uh, staff that we have. It's good stuff. And, and uh, certainly one of the core values of RSI is being able to get everybody at least a little bit of strategically involved in their organization, whether it's just taking on invoices and inventory and understanding their cost of goods. Absolutely one of our core philosophies too. Uh, Julie, when you're working with existing clients currently and, and even somebody who wasn't necessarily a client, what kinds of things should they be focused on at this time of year? What are they doing to kind of set themselves up for success heading into the end of this year and the beginning of 2019? Yeah, um, so one thing is budgets. So um, if, you know, if anybody's not utilizing the budgeting tool in RSI and not getting full access to the budget versus actual financial statements, um, you need to do it. And if you're feeling uncertain or you don't know, you've never done it before, reach out to your operations specialist because we can help you um, not be intimidated by it, but it's definitely one of the best resources that you have to get on track and stay on track and set up goals and figure out what your tactics are and how to measure it when you reach those. Um, so definitely budgets is going to be key. Um, another another great one is the period and review process. And so it, this, this accomplishes a lot of things, some of which we've just talked about, this whole philosophy of empowering your people, um, giving them a chance to report up in terms of what they're seeing and what their plan is, um, measuring their success, and then any bonus plan accordingly. So we have a really thorough period and review process that if anybody's unfamiliar, again, your ops specialist can demonstrate it to you and for those people that feel maybe I don't have the bandwidth to do this, um, we have a great team of client advisors like our digital panelist, Dave Downs, to help you um, to that end. So both of those things I think are really critical pieces and one thing that I'll say is if you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, I don't have time to do that right now because it's the holidays, I'm busy, that's fine. Set a date. Say that you want to get it done by end of period two. Just don't never set a date and don't always put it off because um, I can guarantee that you're leaving money on the table if you're, if you're not utilizing that resource. That is how strongly I feel about doing that. Perfect. Steve, from an operational standpoint outside of RSI, what kinds of things are you seeing restaurant owners, operators, management teams, what are they working on uh, as, they're, as they're wrapping up 2018, heading into 2019? What are they assessing, evaluating? How are they trying to make the, uh, make the operation better? So when I was an operator, I always used this time of year to start setting meetings with all of my vendors. You know, January and pretty much every restaurant that I worked in, we always saw a little bit of a lull in business. And in order to really maximize my time um, during that slower month, I would get every vendor from my linen company to, you know, my contract cleaners, all of my food, all of my beverage vendors, 
And I would meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, and I'd kind of do a little bit of a review on what we saw from them in 2018, and then start to talk with them strategically about what to expect from them in 2019. Um, simultaneously, I would also start to bid out some of that, you know, some of those vendor relationships that I had. I wanted to see what pricing was available to me out there that would help me better fall in line with that budget that I had put together at the end of 2018. Um, so I really used uh, kind of the end of the previous year and the beginning of the following year to really sit down one-on-one, -on -one, meet with all of my vendors. And what I the conversation that I have had with a lot of my current clients is they ask me, you know, what tools RSI has to help them understand and essentially buy better and have better purchasing practices. And um, for those of you who don't know, in 2018, RSI rolled out its new purchasing program. And one of the features of that is that we will do evaluations of your purchasing program. And we'll look to see, based on the vendors that are in your market, are you getting the best pricing on the things that you buy regularly? Are there opportunities out there for things like manufacturer discounts um, that can help you reduce your overall food cost? And I think it's an area where a lot of operators tend to just kind of fall back on the status quo. Well, I've always bought this product from this one specific vendor, and I'm just going to stick with it. And if they're not really looking at, you know, six months or a year's worth of purchasing history, a lot of times when they see that information, they're very surprised to see that that price creep has really impacted them. And something that they were spending $49 a case on in January, they're spending $56 on a case on by the end of the year. And the ability to really sit down with them and kind of show them, especially looking at, hey, what are the things you spend most of your money on? Can we evaluate and find opportunities to make sure that you're purchasing it at the best possible price. So tools already existing within RSI and then kind of with this new purchasing program, some additional tools and resources that they can leverage so that they feel confident in January and in July and in December that they're getting the best possible pricing on everything that they buy. No doubt. Uh, a couple things there. First, that's a perfect segue. There is going to be in quarter one of 2019 a RSI digital panel specifically tailored around our purchasing program. So there will be more information um, uh, for some of the folks that have already joined up and participating or, and are participating in that. Leon, you come from food distributorship. So I, you, you know these meetings that Steve was talking about real well. Uh, give us some insight. Do you have any couple quick strategies that people can take when they do set those meetings and, and get those on the table? What what kinds of things should a should a restaurant be talking about? How do they how do they do that effectively? Absolutely. First and foremost, you have to have all the data that you that you can. You have to have the information in order to make the right decisions and have the right conversation. Yeah. I had that conversation with you probably ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. When you were operating your restaurant. Hey. Uh, yeah. Full disclosure: Leon used to sell food to me. Yes. <laughs> and so, not just I, out of the trunk of his car. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, and, and in all honesty, when we had those conversations, it's all about, okay, I, when you're negotiating, uh, don't think you're going to try to reach out and find the best price on any individual item from each individual vendor and end up having 50, 50 vendors that you're trying to manage all the time. That process does not, is, it's not efficient, and it won't produce the results that you need as well. I mean, when you think about 
efficiency for those vendors, that's what can create value as well. If I've got, you know, four different broadline distributors that I'm using and kind of think I'm making money here because I'm pricing one item against one vendor and another item against another vendor, what does that do? That means there's, there's less um, uh, cases on each one of those trucks. There's probably more deliveries throughout the week. And overall, they all have to make money at some point in time as well, so they're not being efficient. So in turn, uh, what we really want to do is focus on those relationships. How can I find the vendor uh, that's going to, of course, deliver the prices that I need, um, but also work with me on that? These are the items that I know are driving uh, the cost uh, and, and really driving my expenses. So how can I find out who's going to take care of me on those top items? Uh, and then also from there, moving forward, being able to make sure they're not backdooring something else where I'm getting hosed on that mm -hmm. broomstick handle. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, come with me with your best pricing on my key items. Let's, you know, negotiate Sounds with Sounds like a, a, a trust but verify, right? You know mm -hmm. it, absolutely. So good tool on the website to help you do that, too. You know. Julie, are you in sales? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. So just to piggyback, just to piggyback on what Leon was saying, you know, one of the things that we're always working on doing at RSI is, you know, looking at different um, data points about our clients that kind of help us put together some best practices that really can be employed by everybody. And an interesting thing that we found over this past year is there was a correlation between restaurants that achieved their cost of good goals and having a lower number of vendors. And what we saw is as the number of vendors that they worked with increased, they had more of kind of this EKG chart on their food costs, right? Because they're trying to buy a couple things from this person, a couple things from this person over here, and it made it a lot harder for them to manage and to keep that pricing steady. So, you know, it's great that Leanne brought this up because I think it's important that, you know, you understand that sometimes this consolidation of vendors can really be a benefit, you know, again, the efficiencies on their side often translate to efficiencies over on your side. And then there's a second piece, and I might be jumping the gun a little bit here by getting into my 2019 predictions, um, but Leanne mentioned something very interesting about that relationship, and one of the things that I hear a lot from clients that I talk to when I ask them about, hey, what vendors do you work with? Why do you work with specific vendors? And what I hear over and over again is they want to work with people, not only that they have a good relationship, but who support the restaurant. And that is supporting the restaurant by coming in and bringing other people into the restaurant, talking it up. Um, and then the big one is support on social media. You know, restaurants spend a lot of time and energy on getting their brand out on social media. And one of the things that good vendors do is they follow, like, comment, post, and really push the profile of their customers up. Now, this is obviously not just altruistic. They know that if the, their customers are doing better and are selling more and are busier, they're going to be ordering more product. But I hear that a lot of you know, operators who, again, they spend a lot of time monitoring who is doing things on their social media site. And when they see vendors who are constantly engaging, um, that really raises their profile. Drop in there and give a good Yelp review while you're at it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Never hurts. 
Uh, perfect. Um, anything else? Any other key points anyone wants to make on kind of 2018, a little bit year in review, how you're setting yourself up for success moving into uh, into 2019? Um, know tactically, I think you wanted to touch base at least a little bit on the W2 season right around the corner. What kinds of things can operators be doing right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. So right now, I would say if you did one key thing, it would be to go in and take a look at your employees as they're listed on the website and be looking for that their social security numbers are verified. You really just want to prevent needing to do W-2 corrections later um, because, you know, that can have a cost to you. It's going to impact your team member, and so you could prevent that. Um, and then, not to keep hammering home RSI assistance, but there's some real great short recordings there since it's been a year since you've gotten your W-2s and if you're needing a reminder on how easy it is for your team or for you to go in and get those online to take a look at those. And again, just take a look at that year-end task list. I find that there's always a lot coming at you when you're at the restaurant. There's always something really urgent drawing your attention. And so with a lot of things, you might end up putting it off, not intentionally, but other things are coming in to get in your way. Just have that and tackle it and set yourself some targets to get on these. It's going to save you time, potentially money, all of that down the road. Um, so I encourage you to just take a little bit of time and look at some of those things and start checking some things off your list. You're, you'll feel better once you do that, for sure. No doubt. Before we transition into kind of looking forward into 2019, some stuff that we're seeing, I wanted to at least point out for anyone that's attending today on the panel as well, uh, on the bottom there is a Q&A section. If you have any questions that you want us to address, feel free to click on there and type in any questions, and we'll try and get to as many as we can before we wrap up here in the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, Leon, we, we did a full digital panel on delivery services in, in the recent few months. Um, we've talked a lot about some of those things that have, uh, that have already kind of started to, uh, to really take over the industry in a lot of ways, and, and some people feel compelled to try and keep up. What kinds of trends are you seeing in any of your markets that you work in? What kinds of things are you seeing that are unique and different? And, and people are being a little bit more forward-thinking uh, as we kind of start this trend analysis moving into next year. Absolutely. Uh, probably on the most forward-thinking idea that I've come across and I've heard, it was actually down in uh, Phoenix uh, several months ago and uh, was in discussions with a, uh, a larger restaurant group that have multi-concepts, and they're just figuring out, trying to think of a way that they can build an actual virtual restaurant that has no seats in it, mm. has a fully stocked kitchen in it with all those various components to be able to produce uh, uh, items from each one of their known restaurants. Uh, so as people would basically be a virtual restaurant where those delivery services would dial in uh, directly into that quote-unquote commissary type space and then uh, be able to pick up and deliver to that surrounding area and have those options all out of one space. So I thought that was really something I haven't seen actually come to uh, uh, actual happen yet. Haven't come to fruition, but it's uh, something that I thought was uh, pretty interesting. And, and really interesting. It was a great idea. Yeah. I have uh, one other idea. You, wait, can I tell you an idea they could add on to that? Yeah, go so for it. So they could then do their commissary out of that as well and really take advantage of some economies of scale because um, I have a group of clients out in California that are going the commissary route this year because 
again, with the labor and those economies of scale, plus just like consistency of product and everything like that, and they're taking a look at, yeah, how could they do that? How could they make that then factor in with that delivery and making sure that, you know, the the client is getting, or the customer is getting product that enhances their brand. Um, so sorry to get so animated. I feel passionate about delivery services. <laughs> No, and it's well, great. And we're going to get a little bit down into the labor in, in ways that people are trying to combat that because you're right. It's, it's increasing in almost every market. It's really difficult to staff people, and you end up paying a premium. We're going to talk a little bit about that here in a few, in a few minutes um, uh, towards, the, towards the end of today's panel in, in some various ways people are trying to combat that, that increasing labor, uh, labor cost. Steve, in the big city of Chicago, since we're just a cow town out here in Denver, uh, talk to us about what kinds of trends you're seeing. What kinds of things do you see out there in the, in the big city, in the windy city? So it's very interesting. And kind of start off by, you know, what was Leon and Julie were just talking about, and that's really people trying to, you know, minimize labor, maximize the value that they're able to provide. Um, and that's certainly the trend that we have seen here in terms of new restaurant openings over the past year, uh, which seems to be a little bit of a push away from the middle. Um, you know, diners are kind of looking for one of two things. Um, they're either looking for uh, an experience or they're looking for value. Um, so we're seeing an increase in high-end restaurants that are opening up in Chicago um, for people who want something that's a really unique experience. It's going to leave a lasting impression. You know, that food that they can throw up on Instagram and make everybody else jealous because they're not living the hashtag best life. But, um, and then kind of the other side of that, uh, which is the value part of it. Um, you know, they want a consistent product and they want it and they're willing to sacrifice kind of some of those traditional service elements in order to get it. Um, so we're seeing new concepts that are opening up with, you know, more of your self-service or more of your kind of fast casual service elements incorporated into them and then that savings and labor um, being passed on to the consumer uh, really in the form of lower prices. Cool, value and experience, two things we, uh, we understand very well as former operators. That's always, always something we're working on. Um, Leon. Value and experience, Dave. Yeah, that's exactly mm -hmm. right, yeah. Um, Leon, trends. Locally here in any of the markets you support, what kinds of things are you seeing out there that kind of tie into that value and experience? Absolutely. Uh, in in the uh, Denver market and also uh, out in Kansas City, I've seen uh, uh, several uh, food hall experiences open up. Uh, and this kind of ties into a uh, another trend that I see, and that's more of that single-item restaurant. So you might have a place that, say, a poke bowl or a fried chicken shop or a ramen shop. People really specialize specializing on doing one thing incredibly well and creating that following. And that food hall uh, idea basically uh, aligns perfectly with that because you have the, have the uh, ability to have five, six, seven, eight different outlets that really specialize in doing one or two things exceptionally well, uh, giving everybody the, uh, the ability to try some different things and uh, but still have that social experience as well because we all know they are pretty bar-centric and that's uh, <laughs> uh, the big part of it as well, to be able there, to be seen, to have uh, uh, a great uh, night out, to have a great happy hour. And also gives the young operator or an inexperienced operator the ability to prove their concept. 
uh, mm -hmm. and then with hopes of uh, moving on to a brick and mortar from there. So, Leanne, I got a quick follow-up question on that. In, in terms of uh, maybe why you're seeing some of those those food hall kind of driven uh, trends, is it real estate development driven? Are those um, what What do you think? Could you put your finger on anything that that is causing something like that to happen? Yeah, absolutely. I think real estate development is a uh, a big component of it. Uh, on especially here in Denver, yeah. Especially here in Denver, you've got. <laughs> Uh, you've got the developer that wants to build out a specific up-and-coming neighborhood, perhaps, and they use that food hall as an anchor or a real draw to that community. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have the other side. You have the operator that really is having trouble finding an affordable space to go into. So this mm -hmm. kind of feeds both of those components. Cool. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And I think there's really a demand for it, um, you know, from the diner. I think that they have... You know, we're kind of looking at the second iteration of the mall food court, right? You know, where, where there's a lot of different options. And, you know, they, at least here in Chicago, they really tend to be focused on areas uh, where there's a high concentration of businesses and offices. And you have a group of friends who wants to go out, but not having to then sit there and kind of bicker back and forth about, well, should we go to this restaurant or should we go to this restaurant? It kind of gives everybody that opportunity to go in. They all can sit together. They can all, you know, share a table, but everybody can kind of get what appeals to them, um, especially if you have people who have dietary restrictions or, you know, lifestyle choices that limit them from eating certain products. Um, I don't suffer from any of those, luckily, so I usually go for the uh, <laughs> national hot fried chicken. Uh, um, but, uh, but, no, I think it's a really great opportunity for them. I often find myself wondering, should I do some pho or pizza tonight because I can't decide? Or a French dip, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. so food hall may be perfect in my future, yeah. Um, to kind of, Leon, I had a question for you. So I liked how you were saying that it could be a chance to go um, pre-brick-and-mortar, right, in a food hall, low-scale way of proof of concept. Do you guys see at all anybody going the other route? So what I'm thinking is, perhaps a group that has always done full service um, but is interested in what that fast casual model might look like for them. Do you see people going in that direction? Is that something that you think would make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think absolutely, particularly when they are known for a specific, going back to that single item restaurant idea and in that fast casual space, if they're brick and mortar restaurant was well known for an item or two that everybody just goes there for. They see this as a great opportunity to be able to open that fast casual space uh, that embodies that single item. You know, what can yeah. we do to maybe make some variations of that, uh, but to really take the thing that they're known for and uh, see what they can do with it. Something, so for something example, I, oh, go ahead. wait, Dave, they could take their top sellers that they could find <laughs> and they could use that list. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry, I didn't mean to. In my, in my operation specialist days, I work with clients in uh, North and South Carolina, in Denver, in uh, various parts of the country, and, and it seemed like there was kind of a, a lot of the younger second-generation team uh, or family members that were kind of taking over mom-and-pop shops and, and really changing it and evolving it. I know, Steve, you had, uh, have, had or have seen a lot of that in kind of your market. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's certainly been a huge trend here in Chicago and, you know, kind of these uh, second generation for immigrant families. And what they seem to be focusing on is really going back to the roots 
of whatever specific area their family hails from. Whereas their parents may have opened a restaurant that had some traditional elements from where they came from, but done in such a way that makes it a little bit more palatable for the American palate, now what we're seeing is their children are starting to open up restaurants that are much more authentic. And the response has been absolutely outstanding, whether it's, you know, Central or South American food, um, you know, Indian, Thai food, you know, really getting back to what it is that they, maybe they grew up eating, even though they were in the restaurant and this is what their parents were serving, they were often in the back eating something completely different. And right. they want to have the opportunity to share that with everybody. And it's really taken on a number of different forms. So we've seen everything from, you know, the food trucks and the fast casual and the food hall installations all the way up to this food presenting itself in a very fine dining atmosphere. So it's really cool to see the gamut of how these, you know, again, second generation, these children of immigrants have taken what they grew up with and transformed it into something that's completely different, but at the same time is really true to the restaurant that they grew up in. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, okay, shifting gears uh, one more last time. Um, kind of looking at uh, looking at labor and what kinds of things people are doing creatively to uh, to try and combat the the just the pressures and the changing markets. How how labor is evolving over time. Steve, are you seeing in in Chicago? Are you seeing a lot of automation? Are you seeing a lot of grab and go? What's going on out there uh, that's a little bit different? And then Leon, I'll kind of ask you the same question after. So I think in a conceptual way, we started to see a push towards that. You know, obviously Chicago hosts the National Restaurant Association show mm -hmm. here every year. And every year, you know, when we attend, we see more and more of these operators who are putting, you know, together kiosks and mobile ordering platforms and really ways to, you know, reduce the amount of labor that they need, whether that's to get the order for the food or whether that is to prepare the food. Um, so I think that there's a big technological push for that. Um, I would have to say, though, I don't know that I've necessarily seen that rolled out in practice, probably as much. I think the technology is there. I think the industry as a whole, though, has been a little bit slower to adapt it. Um, you know, recently here in Chicago, uh, McDonald's moved its corporate headquarters from out of the suburbs of Chicago right into the Fulton Market District, which is kind of the epicenter of the Chicago restaurant scene. Um, and, you know, they put a very large McDonald's down in the ground floor of their offices there. And that's where they've been trying a lot of these new kiosks and these new ways to order food and get the order in and, you know, get it out to the guests in a more efficient manner. Um, so we're, I think we're starting to see that and we're actually seeing some of the big players are really leading the way and leading the charge on that. Um, but I feel that the smaller operators are probably going to be following suit and you're going to see more independents embracing some of these automation techniques. Leon, do you see a lot of stuff uh, changing in terms of maybe square footage, footprints that people are taking on, a lot more grab-and-go? What's going on uh, around here in, in the Denver market more and more? Yeah, definitely. That combination of trying to figure out how to maximize the, uh, the, the occupancy. So whether it's a smaller footprint or how to use that footprint uh, throughout Better. the day more efficiently. So yeah. do I go from how can I get revenue coming in throughout the day to, to maximize the potential of the rent I really have to pay? Uh, so from a concept of maybe some, adding some grab-and-go, maybe adding a uh, place that starts out as a, as a coffee cafe, maybe has lunch and then turns into a bar, 
having, um, you know, depending on that day part, how can we be more efficient with, you know, that mobile ordering uh, component so that we can produce items and have them to our guests in that time frame when they need them the fastest, you know. So really kind of being nimble as to, okay, I have this space, I have um, a certain percentage that I need to pay on it. What, how can I maximize uh, the revenue that's coming in there? So yeah, I would say smaller footprints and being very efficient with those footprints uh, is definitely something that's happening. Um, Perfect. I have a Go ahead, Julie. Kind of, yeah, piggyback on that. Um, talking about creative use of space, so there's clients of ours, I'm not sure if we're supposed to mention client names or not, but they have restaurants in California and in Florida and Miami, so they're opening up a new uh, restaurant in a warehouse space, and so the footprint of what they got was just a lot bigger than what they needed for that concept, and so they made the back of it into a tiny little speakeasy sushi bar with this famous oh, sushi yeah. chef from Japan, and uh, you have to access, you have to get a code and access it through this door, you have to do reservations, and I mean, Miami is the perfect market for that kind of thing, um, and they're killing it in both locations. So I just thought it was a really good example, like what you're saying, of kind of a creative use of space and how to maximize your revenue maybe in, in different ways. I think that ties in to Steve's point as well, that people are looking for an experience as experience, well. Experience, yeah, exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Absolutely. And it's not completely uncommon, too. I think we're seeing also a lot of things going the other way, these giant footprints with something completely unique, bocce ball uh, bars and, and restaurants, uh, pickleball. I, I saw a bunch of those coming from the Midwest. There's a new indoor putting, putt-putt uh, golf with a cool bar and really cool food that's really unique and different. And, and those experience, that's part of that experiential place. It may not necessarily be fine dining, per se, but certainly really good quality atmosphere, good cocktails, good um, good food, and, and just something fun to do as you're, as you're mingling with friends and family, too. Labor yeah, and compliance, Danny. Oh, sorry, Julie. Oh, yuck. Really? Uh, okay, yeah. in a minute. Well, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm trying to make him a full-time panelist. He didn't turn okay. his camera off, so. I know. One minute. Uh, but just to say, <laughs> if you think about the trend towards delivery and people wanting food and things like that, maybe sometimes at home or what's convenient, but the one thing that restaurants will always have that can never be replaced is that atmosphere and that experience yeah. and that ambiance and different fun things that you maybe are going to do there or the vibe that your staff brings and all that. Delivery is never going to replace that. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not. So it's not going to. It's not going to replace it. And I think it's. It, you know what? I applaud the. I applaud the use of space. Right. I mean, you've got a lot of big box restaurant spaces that have come up uh, on the marketplace and and it's going to take a lot of creativity to use those spaces so you know whether it's um, you know what did we see in Detroit in February uh, foaling or fouling where we we're throwing footballs at bowling pins or if it's indoor putt-putt you know it, it's creativity right this is I think you know if we start transitioning to predictions 2019 is going to be the year that it's going to take every creative bone in an operator's body to to really thrive, right? Um, and, and to reinvent hospitality. So, um, shit, was that my segue? Was I supposed to? Oh, I just now you're supposed to panel. talk about labor and compliance. Labor and <laughs> compliance. All right, sorry. <laughs> I've been monitoring. Start dropping now. 
I've been monitoring chats and, and questions. Uh, we've got a, a few RSI-specific things. Uh, you know, if you're an RSI client, uh, we'll follow up with you definitely after the panel on some of those specific items. But um, labor and compliance, God, it's, it's not getting easier out there, right? And I think the prediction is, is that it's going gonna, it's gonna to get bumpier before it gets better in 2019. Um, I think we can count on increased uh, compliance and regulations and requirements um, that doesn't look like it's going away, right? So you've seen, uh, or if you haven't seen, you've maybe heard some of the things that California has. Um, well, that's certainly picked up steam, and you've got predictive scheduling in Washington, Oregon now, uh, New York, and there's a lot of legislation and, and legal battles going on over that. I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, I don't be curious what you guys think in your markets, but I, I see that as an absolute trend that we can count on. Um, and so, you know, some of the things that I look for uh, from the RSI perspective, right, how do we protect our clients, how do we protect our, our club, um, is to, to get ahead of it, right, and look for ways to find um, things that can maintain break compliance, break reporting, um, you know, the things that are a real pain in the ass, quite frankly, as an operator. Uh, all we want to do is sell burgers and beer, but we've got to have this other stuff like on the backside to protect our business. So, you know, we're looking at things like that to help us uh, really from Q1 on um, be in compliance on um, the scheduling and labor and whatnot. But structurally, I, I think I went off on a bit of a tangent. As an industry, I firmly believe that we've got to change our model uh, we spoke about this on our very first digital panel about the, the modern-day manager right, in a restaurant, and, and I think that goes all the way down the ranks. We've, got a, we've grown up, maybe, all of us, uh, well, at least I'm old, um, some of us on this panel, have grown up in where we, we had kind of a lower income, great culture, right? It was the way that we got uh, indoctrinated into the business, and and now the culture thing is almost like a little shaky at times, and we've got to find ways to keep that going. But now it also needs to have some higher wages and better quality of life. Um, that's the expectation of the workforce today, and I think that's, that's my goal for RSI clients and, and the industry in general is how do we do that in a way, how do we evolve in a way that we can still maintain uh, margin, continue to grow our business and without – you know, this, it's the pressure of raising that price of the burger. Um, so I think, again, structurally, we'll, we'll really have to work on that in 2019 as an industry. Whew. How was that for my guest panelist role? Is that well, okay? It was All good. Right. Really came in yeah, there at you. the end. Good job. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. I'm going to put myself back on mute and go back to the questions. <laughs> Couple, couple things just to kind of summarize as we're starting to wind down here. I don't want to run over that hour mark, and we're at 50 minutes or right at 50 minutes. Uh, just to kind of summarize some of the things we, we talked about a little bit today is, is really being able to get that collaborative hap uh, collaboration happening with your team, being able to share financials, get feedback, get their input on what you're looking forward to doing. Um, that was something, kind of one of those trends, getting budgets built out and, and being prepared for W-2s uh, definitely this year. 
um, and everything there. Um, and just being creative and really focusing on your brand, whatever that may be. Um, I think ultimately, whether it's a food hall, they still have some sort of brand to maintain like, you, like you're seeing quite often, Leon, or that second generation ethnic cuisine restaurant that still has to maintain some sort of brand. Um, so really kind of focus, refocusing on that brand heading into next year. We didn't have any other uh, kind of general Q&A questions on today's panel. Dan, do you want to wrap it up? Yeah, no, my, my takeaways are this, um, you know, continue to share financial information with your team, right? If you want to build a great culture that runs through the ranks and you want to build the bench, um, you've got to get people on the bus. How do you do that? Bring them a part of the vision. What's the, why did you get into the business? What inspires you today? What is your goal for 2019? Make sure that they, you know, every staff member, team member knows it. Uh, whether they're a manager or an hourly employee, I mean, you, we all have to have that understanding of the greater goal. Um, COGS, right? So giving people practical exercise and, and vision into an insight into what cost of goods looks like. Uh, what's the cost of a napkin, right, is the, the old uh, analogy we use here. And periodically bringing that up, providing some review of that. I, this isn't meant to be a, a, a tool that you brow beat someone. It's meant to be a, a carrot that's in front of the thoroughbred. Hey, I want you to achieve your goals. And if you want to run a restaurant life or if you want to, you know, any other business, these are the same concepts that you're going to have to be mindful of. Um, so that was something I took away. And, and, and what drives that, the roadmap to that is your budget, right? So if you haven't done a budget, make that your 2019 prediction and goal. Make it happen. Um, Vendor partnership conversations. I love that topic. What yeah. a great, I mean, we're, we're involved in those conversations with our clients. It's a great time to assess where do you stand? Do you have a partner? Do you have a partner that's honest, transparent, provides a roadmap, provides direction? Are, are they financially aligned with your goals? Do they understand your goals? Are they asking about that? Um, that's, that's what you want out of a partner somebody to have that. Uh, I use, um, you know, he's on here, Josh Bay uh, from the Rio and Julie, I think that's all right. That's your background. Um, yeah. uh, Jason had a great line from there. He's like, I, out of a partner, I want open kimono honesty. And man, that's not the easiest thing to live up to sometimes. But I think that's as an industry, that's what we should strive for, right? We should strive for being a partner to clients and being a vendor to uh, you know, vice versa, and that relationship, right, needs to have that kind of honesty um, and, and supporting the business, not just through a, a Christmas card or a basket or a bouquet of flowers when you open a restaurant, but how about you show up and buy a burger and a, bur and a beer, right? How about you post something? Help me out here. I love it, Steve. That was great feedback. Um, what was the last takeaway I had was uh, just the larger players making some moves in the marketplace, right? You see some things happening. That shift by McDonald's to get downtown. Um, I watched that first, like, YouTube video of that facility. It was amazing. Uh, I think that's something that we continue to look at at 2019 and keep an eye on. Um, there's going to continually be uh, – I, I was able to attend the restaurant finance conference, and I think that was the major theme that I took away is – 
we've got this idea in our heads that, hey, everyone has to eat. Everyone, you know, there, there's plenty of opportunity. There might be a little bit of retraction happening right now. And so it's going to take creativity, company culture, um, and maintaining margin in the, in the throes of and the threat of, um, you know, compliance and, and pressure, margin pressure. We're going to have to find ways to do that as an industry. And, uh, and, and I think those are the major takeaways that we should be planning for for 2019. I'm sure there's more that will come up uh, as we break into the year. Thanks, Dan. That's quite the recap. Dude, it's a cup of coffee in the afternoon. Um, I should have probably summarized that, right? Anyway, okay. we did. <laughs> that level yeah. of detail was really good. That was really good. That's yeah, a page full of notes, but uh, we're going to move Wait, on. I only and have we three things. Really three quick. things? Oh, you got three things. All right, good. I just have three things. They're bullet points. If you don't do anything else, I want you to do these three things. Number one, do a budget. If you don't have one, you never heard of it, reach out. Number two, get with your team and see where your areas of opportunity are there and engage them and get creative with creative with them and that will pay off in a number of ways. Um, and the last one is your delivery partners. Take some time to analyze that partnership and make sure that it's working for you and your brand and your sales the way that you think it is and the way that they preach to you that it is because they certainly charge a lot um, to take on that delivery partnership. Um, so take some time and analyze that, and that's it. Nice. I love it. That's good and succinct. I love it. Leon and Julie, so some of the people that are watching today may be, may be wondering where Michelle O'Neill is, my fearless co-host. Uh, she has been out sick with the flu for the last three days, so we had to kind of adjust. So I can't thank Julie and Steve and Leon and Dan enough for, for jumping in and putting together a great panel. I thought that was awesome, you guys. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks. It was really yeah, good. and I apologize. It'll thank probably you. be my last guest panelist, but I will say this. <laughs> Uh, we've got a lot planned for 2019, and we're going to keep this resource going. I think we've had a lot of great feedback. So for everyone listening in or listening later, thank you for a great 2018. I'm going to wrap this up and uh, wish you all a great afternoon. Happy holidays, everybody. Bye. Happy holidays.